0: welcome to the show in this one i talked to musician ed washington he says that a lot of his music comes from a cathartic place not necessarily from a need to be heard but a need to express he's been that way since he was a child In fact, there's this video his dad took of him when he was a baby, and he's singing to himself. It was an early moment of something he would continue to do throughout his life, sing himself happy. Last year, Ed spent a lot of time busking in downtown Anchorage. When he was out there, he sang his songs and he shared stories. He even did it barefoot, because he wanted to be one with the city and the people. Connecting with people he encountered was important because he wanted to win them over and make their day just a little better. That's what busking is, he says. You're out there giving and not asking for anything in return. And if people feel compelled to pay or take a picture, then that's their choice. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine, and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolf, Sharon Liska, Jake Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Borderline Legacy. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get Crude apparel and merchandise at Public, From t-shirts, to hoodies, to stickers, baby onesies, and more. Just go to the Crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Ed Washington. For as long as he's been doing music, he's been a workhorse dedicating every ounce of his time and energy to it. It's something he took pride in, working to physical and mental exhaustion without paying any attention to his personal well-being. It took a bad breakup, a broken bone, and working through his childhood trauma for him to refocus on his own health. He's since re-examined old beliefs and techniques. The idea of perfection is a big one. He's a believer that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfection or greatness, is in the fact that you show up and you practice. The act of practicing is a way of life, and by doing it consistently, Ed is seeking to perfect the process rather than perfecting himself. So here he is, Ed Washington. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired it up
1: conversations. Listen more than you
0: talk. Go to work. So we had to start like 10 to 15 minutes late because you got caught up at work. What
1: do you do for work? I'm a long-term sub at West High School. And I'm currently teaching a lit class. So um and not slang lit but uh <laughs> literature <laughs> but my class my class is pretty lit so as the youngins would say
0: and it's the same class
1: yeah so um it's it's like advanced reading and i'm teaching uh freshman kids and it's just been a blast. It's been a nice refresher on things that I probably didn't pay attention to when I was in school, <laughs> when I was in <laughs> high school, and um, also just like I think, even you know, even though like these kids are high schoolers, they're a wealth of knowledge and wisdom, mm-hmm. just on the way that they see the world, and you know, they're not, they're not. <sighs> they haven't been jaded by life yet. Yeah. You know, so it's really nice to kind of soak up some of that energy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, after college and actually a couple of years after I got back from college to Alaska, I sub. So so two separate times, you know, back in 2011 and then okay. back in let's say 2017, I think I started it back up and Yeah, like once you find your school and once you find like a class that you can sub at consistently, it's a pretty awesome job.
1: Yeah. Getting tossed around every school uh, in Anchorage is rough. It's tough. (laughs) When you, you know, am I going to be 30 minutes away or 15 minutes away today or whatever? (laughs) Or am I going to go to the school where where they beat up teachers or <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. I did that for a couple years. And then I think slowly, it's just like any profession, I guess, you start to build up contacts and you build up rapport at certain schools. And yeah, I'm really enjoying just having a consistent gig. It's nice.
0: I... um yeah, I was really turned off the first time I did it because I was being tossed around all these different schools and Mm -hmm. the substitute is pretty much like the, uh, the punching bag, you know? Yes. Because nobody really respects you. You know, there was a few schools that I went to where even the staff didn't respect me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got, I have the students not respecting me and then like the staff was really clicky. And so I never really went back to that school, but, I actually got a job at this spot called Alaskatine Media Institute. And so I was subbing and then I got that job and I just transferred.
1: All right. And so was your undergrad in media? Like was that what you studied in school? Journalism. Okay. Sick.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I've I've made a point of pursuing because that's, you know, that's what I'm interested in. You know, I'm interested in people and their stories and it hasn't been an easy road, but I don't think it's supposed to be, you know, I think maybe in a lot of ways, it's probably similar to being a musician, you know, where there's not a exact path that you have to follow. You just need to kind of like bumble around until like you figure out what works for you.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. I was, I was going to kind of relate that to subbing too, where you start off just like taking random jobs and eventually the chaos starts to sort itself out and Mm -hmm. you, you meet more people, you know, you build a network and that becomes like the basis for your career. Yeah. And that's kind of how music is. I've met a ton of people i've worn so many hats um cried a lot Mm, okay (laughs) and uh yeah and then you just kind of find yourself doing some really cool shit. yeah and yeah so that's kind of where i'm at today i'm still i'm still kind of uh figuring it out though. So,
0: <laughs> do you feel like music has gotten easier for you, you know, now that you've built up that that Rolodex of people?
1: Yeah, um in some ways for sure. Like um when I first started playing live here, I didn't have a band. And so at literally every gig I would have to assemble a crew of people, and thankfully I I studied music in college, so I would just hit up friends, and if they were available, I had a band for the gig. Mm-hmm. And that, that was stressful but fun. Uh, and now I have a band that's, you know, just committed to playing the music. And we, we started last year, and we're going to further that this year in this summer so yeah it gets easier in a ton of ways like as you as you build up your skills as you practice songwriting um I'm producing everything in my house so um you learn more things you buy better equipment and I don't know it feels kind of fun in that way like a game where you kind of unlock new abilities as you go
0: yeah totally i um i can relate to that even on like a microphone perspective you know like i had Mm -hmm. these hundred dollar mics for the longest time and i loved them and they worked and you know once you get to a certain level you're like oh I i could probably afford this better mic and then i got it you know this uh sure sm7b and i was like i don't know people are getting it i'll check it out and now that i also edit the podcast i can hear it you know i can hear the difference between the hundred dollar mic and then i what is this like three or four hundred dollar mic and so like you know your your ear gets attuned to it but i don't think that i would have appreciated this mic if i would have gotten it at first you know
1: yeah that's true um and that's a good mic. People love that mic. Um, I don't think I see any you know, I watch I kind of watch my podcasts to consume them, so and everybody I watch, they have that that SM seven B. So yeah, I think it the gradual progression helps you appreciate things a lot more. I was thinking about that today because, you know, on this journey, it's sometimes I get complacent or I, you know, wish that I had more money. (laughs) And but at the same time, I know that, like, there's something about a slow progression that that relates to. Longer lasting success or more sustained. um, Like I had, I didn't skip any steps along the way. I'm not skipping any steps. Yeah. And while that's tedious, it is very gratifying when you get to buy the SM7B Mm -hmm. or when you get to play that gig that you've always wanted to do or when you finally write that song that, you know, feels like, you know, how music should feel. Like those moments, I savor those more because I've been taking my time, so.
0: Yeah. What was the last thing you feel like you leveled up on?
1: Mm. I think I'm trying to level up my, like, life game right now. Um, I'm learning that, While I have, you know, I'm an ambitious person at heart, Um, none of this stuff will be worth it if I don't have, if I'm not in tune with what my soul needs and if I'm not in tune with um, my surroundings and if I'm not present. And so I've been challenging myself to take things in stride and to really listen to what life is trying to tell me at the moment mm-hmm. and not think about the, you know, 20 things I need to get done this week. And yeah, um, you know, are focusing on how I'm not good, I'm not where I want to be yet. And you know, all of the all of the toxic sort of things that artists kind of buy into because of social media. And all of that. So, yeah, I feel like the thing that I've leveled up on or, am, or that I'm focusing on leveling up on right now is just uh, understanding me more, giving myself a break, uh, f- focusing on what matters, like family and love and friendships all these things that need nurturing—that it's real—it's really easy to let fall by the wayside, especially if like I don't know. Like there is this culture, especially in hip hop and R and B, where it's like if you're not in the studio every day, if you're not uh, if you didn't make a song today, you're failing hmm. because Lil Wayne's making a hundred songs right now. What are you doing, you know? And yeah. so. I I don't subscribe to that. I think the best stuff comes out of out of me when I'm happy.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do you think your soul needs right now?
1: I'm learning how to rest. I've been a very, uh, I'm like a workhorse. Anyone that knows me, that's. Uh, and that's worked with me over the years knows that I work my ass off and it's something I kind of like took pride in but I've never really worked hard to like to when it comes to well-being like in some ways yes like I've but it's always been under the guise of like wanting to make my art better or Mm -hmm. wanting to be better in my craft. So I'd go to the gym, but it was to like be better on stage versus like to feel good. Mm -hmm. Or I'd meditate and it was to make sure I wasn't anxious for a show rather than like actually meditating, like wanting nothing, like just be being silent. And so, I'm just kind of relearning some stuff and re reframing things and giving myself a chance to to rest. Yeah. Um yoga is a great metaphor for life for me in the sense of like throughout a session of yoga um you have a collection of postures and one of the postures is always going to be savasana and savasana is called corpse pose and essentially you're just you lay down you don't move and the your teacher will encourage you to get into that posture as quickly as you can and to just like try to find st- stillness how how quickly can you drop into stillness mm-hmm. and in life i think we kind of have to approach rest and being restful in in a similar way, especially if you're someone that um, works really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like y- you have to work hard to rest.
0: You also studied psychology in college, right?
1: I did. Um, so my first two years, I studied psychology until I eventually changed my major to music.
0: Do you think that that factors into your music at all? Psychology or maybe even how you see the world?
1: 100%. I think um especially when I was younger, I was very fascinated by people um and I was always I was always the guy that was like the friend like the, i would be on the phone with my crush and okay <laughs> and she'd be talking to me about some other guy you know okay, or whatever okay, yeah. and I, so i was that guy and i kind of eventually i just kind of owned it and it was like i'm going to be a good friend and try to understand what you're going through and um so i kind of took on that role for my friends i was always the one that Oh, you're a good listener or you're, you know, thank you for talking to me about this. And, um, and then I, eventually I went through my own shit and, uh, um, that's when I realized I needed the counseling. I needed the therapy. I needed to express how I felt. And that was like mid college. And I think that's when music became a huge part in my healing process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's infused. Like I I went to a therapist re- like recent, like whenever I go to a therapist, they're very, um, I don't know, excited about my ability to speak intelligently about my emotions, like mm, okay. the emotion, emotional intelligence. And I attribute that to my songwriting, but I probably could attribute my songwriting to those years studying people, you mm-hmm. know? and And it all just kind of helps the whole, but yeah. And I'm still learning. I'm still fascinated by people.
0: Was there a point in college, you know, you're in, you're in a psychology class and something hits you, you know, hits you on like a personal level.
1: Hmm. I mean, the thing that more so like the things that shocked me about psychology were less about like individual people and more about like how people act when they're in groups. Yeah. Cause I think, I think that's when we're the most scary (laughs) as a race is like Oh, uh, like Bystander Effect, for example. That one stuck with me, and I think it kind of encapsulates how things are in the world. And um, for example, we had all this really horrible snow uh, this winter, Mm -hmm. and my car ended up getting stuck. And... Before I was able to get help, there was at least like ten cars that just drove past me. And and it kinda like I'm aware of the bystander effect. I know how people tend to act when they and and that and the bystander effect is you may be aware, but I'll just explain it for listeners. But it's basically like if you get a big, like, if you get groups of people together and they see that something's happening or you know, like, uh, someone's being attacked or something, yeah, more people are gonna watch and assume that someone else will help than actually take action or whatever. So in my case with the car, I bet people assumed, oh, someone will help him. I yeah. gotta go put. I gotta go bake this cake or something yeah and on a larger scale, I think social media has taken that to like it's it's like times a thousand online and
0: yeah it's almost turned it into like voyeuristic as well,
1: yeah people are more like they just kind of want to watch the spectacle, yeah. So yeah, that that was definitely one that I took with me from psychology for sure.
0: <laughs> I wonder if, in taking that, did you make a point of trying not to become a bystander?
1: Oh, definitely, and I I think it's it's a challenging it's challenging this day and age because I think in older times like pre social media we were taught to be curious and um i didn't really have much fear of people then but because everything is kind of amplified online i think i have what has gone grown beyond a healthy fear of people uh because social media like we have we simultaneously have access to the most beautiful things and the most gruesome things Mm -hmm. all at once yeah and so people think if they you know decide to be a good samaritan that it could go either way for them yeah um but i think the truth is that we're relatively safe And if you use common sense, you'll be okay. But for example, um, I was at this, going to the show, and it was at, like, Willowaw. And there was this guy in, like, Town Square who was, like, attacking someone who was either houseless or whatever. And people were just watching. Like, hundreds of people were just watching this guy. Who clearly was like not fit to fight the other person. So he was just getting beat up and everything. And so I ran over because that was like my gut instinct. And I was like, hey, like he's this, he's clearly had enough. Like, mm-hmm. stop. And afterward, I processed that wow, I could have put myself in harm's way in doing that hmm and <laughs> so I like I'm not I'm not necessarily making a judgment I think if people choose to stay on the other side of the road when things like that are happening that's the right answer too. um because you never know you mm-hmm. really do never know but what I'd like to assume is that we're all right and if you if you're respectful to people and if you try to appeal to their humanity, then, you know, it's okay to be like, uh, all right, I think you beat him up enough. <laughs> <And> <laughs> go <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know what this is reminding me of?
0: You know, this bystander effect is the murder of Kitty Genovese. Are you familiar with this? No. It happened in – I just looked it up, so I don't know this is off the top of my head. I'm not an encyclopedia, but um, (laughs) it it was in uh, 1964. A 28-year-old bartender was raped and stabbed outside of her apartment building. And this is in New York, and there were countless witnesses, right? But nobody called the cops because they – like you said, the bystander effect thought that somebody else was taking care of it. You know, this isn't my responsibility.
1: Yeah. And it's it's tragic. Yeah. Because nobody would want that to happen to their daughter. Mm-hmm. No one would want that to happen to their son. But like those things happen and we kind of turn away from it or we, yeah, I don't know. It's That's very scary to think about. Yeah. And that's a tragic, very tragic story. Did you watch the uh the Dahmer thing on Netflix, the Jeffrey Dahmer show?
0: I didn't watch that. Um but actually really quick, so I'm just like kind of scanning through the Wikipedia and it says the incident, this uh murder of Kitty Genovese prompted inquiries into what became known as the bystander effect or Genovese syndrome.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I was going to relate that to the um to the Dahmer thing because he so he had a next-door neighbor that resisted that urge to just like let it be and she was like calling and it kind of it was really horrific to just think about. I think sometimes uh reenactments in film kind of make it less gruesome, because I don't know if you could really reflect reality. Um, and maybe that was their, maybe they did that to make it more pal- palatable for us. But just thinking about it and being like, wait, that was a real person yeah. that sat ne- next door to someone um, murdering people like like every night almost. Or however long, you know, 30 30 plus people. And she did everything she could. She called the cops, she whatever. That really shook me. Um, And then the bystander effect became like it was like the police were more so in the bystander effect. They Mm. were, well, and it also was more about the neighborhood he was in. And the fact that they didn't really care for the citizens in that area, it gets deep. There's a lot of uh, intersectionality that probably comes into play with all of this.
0: Yeah. And even looking at it from like a personal perspective, it's like, um, am I actually perceiving what I think I'm perceiving? Or am I kind of implanting what I think I'm seeing? if that makes sense. So it's like, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're watching something happen and maybe you perceive it to be a conflict, but maybe you're misinterpreting it, you mm-hmm. know, and maybe, maybe um you have had a few moments where you try to get in the middle of the situation. And then you realize like, Oh no, I'm the bad guy now, you know, cause I misinterpreted the situation and I, I'm just totally fabricating all of this, but I'm saying that, You know, those could be elements of why a specific or a group of people won't get in the middle of it.
1: Yeah. I think there's a ton of different scenarios. It's, it's a tough one. I think largely like we're, we're more taught to kind of mind our own business and, and minding your own business is more related to survival. (laughs) Like. Mm -hmm. I I think mostly people are just trying to live peaceful lives and sometimes getting into other people's mess uh, complicates your life.
0: You know, earlier you said that you went through your own shit. What did that look
1: like? Dude, I was a mess. Um, And I think... The more I heal, the more I kind of like, uh, can acknowledge that I was down bad. But, um, just typical stuff that artists go through. Uh, you get that, like, one heartbreak that kind of sends you, sends you on your, on your path, on your spiritual journey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I did a lot of learning about myself. I did a lot of psychedelics. I uh, smoked a lot of weed. I I partied, and not a lot of that came from a place of like. I think me getting into psychedelics was like wanting to heal. And like that was the guise of it. Hmm. But then it it turned more into wanting to kind of escape. and that's that's where the unhealthy came from. like the, that 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 was the part that I felt was a little less healthy. Hmm. And um, yeah, I through that process, I learned a lot about myself as one might. Um, but I, I truly feel like um, like a lot of this stuff kind of happened around 2016 I feel like now I'm kind of like coming out on the other end mm-hmm. and like <sighs> being able to talk about it in a in a more realistic uh, sort of way and rather than like coming from my pain. I also, I think when you're a child, you can't really, like I didn't really process things that were happening in my household. And those all started to come up at the same time, like in my twenties, in my early twenties and realizing that like what I thought was like, just like standard uh, punishment for being, a bad kid or whatever, which I wasn't even that bad was like actually abusive, you know, and things like that. And, and having to figure that out and have those conversations with my, with my father. And there's just a lot that needed to be unpacked because I kind of just didn't know how to confront those things until I was an adult. So Mm -hmm. there was like the, I think getting, getting my heart broken, uh, kind of let the floodgates open of all this trauma that I was collecting over the years.
0: Yeah. What did those conversations between you and your dad look like? Um,
1: I think we've gotten to a a lot better place now. It's interesting. I guess I can kind of tie in our whole conversation with a lot of this stuff. Like, so... Me and my father would butt heads because I'm very... I'm what people would call hard-headed <laughs> and i and i like to <laughs> ca- kind of go by the beat of my own drum mm-hmm. and if if a rule or whatever didn't make sense to me i was i was definitely the child that would ask why okay and my my father is military and more authoritarian so it's it's like to it's like in a movie immo- unmoving object meeting an unstoppable force and and so with that, we we butt heads a lot when I was younger and things would happen or escalate to a point where like, I like family would tell me, oh, like you and your dad got in a fight or something, but I was like 12 or younger. Mm-hmm. And as I would, when I started subbing in my twenties, I started to see kids that were my size at that time and then realizing, oh, wow, like middle schoolers are very tiny
0: yeah very yeah
1: small not capable of uh fighting <laughs> you know and definitely not fighting adults yeah and um that was what sort of started to like open my eyes to oh wait um maybe I wasn't like maybe this there was more there than that maybe I suffered some trauma from abuse mm-hmm I'll say all that to say that my dad grew up in a different time, a different culture. And I think a lot of people in the black community are raised with like corporal punishment. And so it's normalized in our community. Like my mom would talk about how her dad, like if they talked back or something, they'd get like hit in the mouth. And that was like, For them, that's something that they, and I think it's, you know, I'm, I bet that there's some psychology on that too, where like siblings after going through stuff like that, they laugh and talk about it. Like it's a badge of honor or like some, uh, an experience that they went through. And when, when they talk about it, it's almost like they talk about it fondly. And mm-hmm. I had to, like, tell my my mom and my uncle and all that, like, you guys, like, that's abuse. And I think, like, that's how you start to break down these constructs and get rid of, like, the generational trauma that has happened. Mm-hmm. Is to be able to sit cross-generation and, like, be like, hey, that wasn't right. And to an extent, my parents were as not at all as intense as their parents were like, and they'll let you know that like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my parents would have done this or whatever. And I think every generation hopefully just gets a little bit better, but Mm -hmm. yeah, that is a part of, I think a lot of, I think it stems all the way back to slavery. I think that, um, we were taught to to beat each other because we were being beat mm-hmm. and and it just got passed down and um so yeah um me and my dad would not agree on things like and I wouldn't comply or whatever and that would result in <laughs> ass whooping mm, okay. and and um those things I had to confront as adults because now we're grown, and I I still love him. He's still my father, mm-hmm. and by no means am I like I don't want to trash him because, like I said, I think he just comes from a different era where all of that stuff was. I think part of it is like I truly felt like he felt like it was necessary to keep me alive yeah, because okay. you have to you have to take into account like as a black parent, you're seeing, you're watching young black men and women being killed over routine, uh, traffic stops, for example. And, and then a lot of what people might say during those stops is like, oh man, if, if they would have just, if they would have just complied or if they would have just, you know, followed whatever directions, then they they may have survived and i think in in a lot of heads of, of black parents there is an element of i'm trying to keep my son uh our daughter alive so they can make it to their destination so they could get past their 20s so that you know and so mm-hmm. like i would hear him talk about like oh he's and i wasn't that bad i was a kid that would talk in class and like i was like a class clown like very harmless yeah uh but it seemed like he was trying to like save me from myself um and i don't think that was necessary you know and so i i talk about it there's this song called everything's okay and um i didn't super dive deep into detail but it kind of is talking about how, especially like where you have this trauma that's being passed down through generations, if if your parents or whoever, your guardians haven't done a lot of the hard work to heal, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's almost like you're speaking two different languages. Yeah. Um, and so while he acknowledges, like, he's sorry for the fact that he hurt me. I still think that in some ways, she doesn't think that he was off the mark and he was just doing what, what, how he was brought up, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like your parents, I mean, just like anybody's parents and past generations is, you know, they're going through their own trauma and it sounds like your parents obviously loved you. So they're using the tools that they learned with
1: hundred percent. And so that's the part where I have to reconcile and be like, okay, well, um, are you, are you familiar with a book all about, all about love? I'm not, no. Um, it's all about love by how am I spacing on her name? It's like a really powerful book. I'm gonna look it up, but basically, It's talking, it's defining love. And it's from a black perspective. Bell Hooks? Yeah, by Bell Hooks. Yeah. And um, that helped me. That helped me kind of distinguish. um, Like I said, kind of tying it into what I was saying earlier about like heartbreak and how I started to like, all of this trauma started to kind of unfold through that heartbreak is that I would subject myself to abuse because i thought it was love and bell hooks very clearly is defining love as something that's not abusive and that those like and and saying like your parents can love you like Mm -hmm. there's a chapter where she's talking about her parents and she was like even though my parents loved me like what they did and how they did things that was not love And I think that's liberating, especially as someone, a young person trying to heal from abuse, um, because then you can take the parts that were love, you know, and and kind of just know that the the things that hurt you weren't and that you're that you were right to feel however you felt about those things. And so Mm -hmm. that that began sort of my healing and I and and back to my song Everything's Okay. The my takeaway in this song was just that I may not ever get the full acknowledgement from my parents or from my dad or whatever to say I was wrong, you know? Like mm-hmm. we don't often get that. But what we can do is move forward what we can do is let go what we can do is work through these things and and create the life that we want to live and if we choose to have children we could raise them up in a way to where they never have to experience those things Mm -hmm. and so that's where i'm at with it
0: yeah breaking that cycle is so important
1: yeah and it's never ending there's always work to be done like Mm -hmm. Um and I can't it's no longer like I'm an adult now so it's no longer on on them it's about me and I think a lot of people carry their hurt way longer because they're expecting to get I I am one of those people that doesn't believe closure exists hmm. I truly don't think it exists like I think it's nice to strive for I think it's a cool like romantic, sort of notion but at the end of the day the closure is within us like even if someone's like oh i was you know i'm, I'm sorry about that it's up to us to accept it mm-hmm. you know so it's we're the beholder when it comes to that and yeah it's a hard pill to swallow because as much as i want <laughs> every person that has wronged me in life to to say that openly or whatever like that's not reality reality is we we have to close the book and by no means am I discrediting anyone's pain or trauma I just think it's better for people that have gone through trauma to try to do as much healing on their own than expect it from someone who May still be in that same headspace. They might still, okay. they may not believe that they did anything wrong, you know, like in this parent kid dynamic or whatever, yeah. depending on how you were raised, you may not ever get what you're looking for. And I think that that is also toxic because then it's like you're wanting approval from someone or you're wanting to, mm-hmm. um, it's still seeking that stuff that you never got from them. And I think it's on us to give it to ourselves. Um, So much of adulting is just parenting your inner child, you know?
0: Yeah. I've never heard that before, but I think uh, you're a hundred percent right, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because I mean, that's what in psychology or in therapy, that's what, you read about or you talk about mostly is the origin of these traumas or this pain Mm -hmm. and when you take it far enough back it's it's not last week and it's not a month ago or a year ago you know it's it's depending you know on how old you are it's you know 15 20 30 years ago you know at the
1: origin right and we can take that as context and seek to understand ourselves now or we can kind of like wallow in it and carry it the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. and I think that's a trap I, I truly think that that's a trap and it's it takes a lot of effort to let go of you know things that may have happened in your upbringing or whatever Mm -hmm. But I do believe that it's like a lot sweeter on the other side, like to be able to um, get to a point where I've forgiven my parents and that I can acknowledge that they were young and they were that they were doing their best. Mm -hmm. And while I disagree with their methods, um, you know, their family and that they do love me and. And to be able to say that that those the things that hurt me weren't love, and to know that for myself and not needing them to acknowledge it, that was the most liberating thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that has helped me to to problem solve, you know, now in life because there, I mean. <laughs> that shit's so heavy. A lot of this other stuff that we deal with in the adulthood is like, okay, I can, I can deal with that. I can learn how to move on from this.
0: You know, when I was going through your social media, I saw this post from last year about your album titled Hedonism. You said this was pure catharsis. I lost a lot of people the past two years. I tried to numb the pain. I even tried to disappear, but I'm still here. I'm still healing. What did you mean by you try to disappear?
1: Hmm. So there's a, well, there's a, there is a song called a uh, cellular phone on that project hmm. and I say, um, I, I want to cry sometimes and i want i want to die sometimes and not necessarily in like suicide but just like i was so sad i was praying for (laughs) for this experience to end you know Mm -hmm. i just wanted it to stop i had lost one of my best friends and um that really was a huge blow um I went through this really bad relationship where it, it, well, it was good. It was my, someone who I considered one of my best friends and we decided to give it a go in a relationship and I ended up getting cheated on and that kind of flipped my world upside down. Hmm. And so it's kind of just like hedonism was kind of talking about that time in life where i said i was just like down bad i there's a lot of there's a lot of loss loss of love uh loss of friendships um losing friends i lost my best friend i lost my sister Hmm. um which is a huge that really can mess a person up especially like yeah we're young my parents are still alive but my sister's not here, Mm -hmm. Um, that's rough. Um, That's a hard pill to swallow. And then through COVID, um, I lost several family members to COVID. So, hedonism is just kind of chronicling these, I mean, more than two years to be honest, but um, just kind of chronicling how I was running from the pain to find pleasure and in some ways not in like in in ways that weren't always the best for me. Mm-hmm. So whether that be like drugs or sex or you know all these empty pleasures mm-hmm. and kind of at the end was this this thesis of well the ultimate pleasures are the things that that last. Are these things that are like eternal, like love, Mm -hmm. true love, family, uh, friendship, um, my spirituality. All of these things, like that's kind of where the, the album landed. And so it's just kind of like talking about my journey, kind of sifting through that and how I, I don't know, I became a zombie for a little bit. I didn't want to feel... Um, and then when I started to feel again, I just didn't want to be here because it was like, wow, the, it feels like the world or at least my world is ending.
0: Yeah. It sounds like there was a lot of pain.
1: Yeah. So much. And I'm just glad that I came out on the other side. I feel like a better person Mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, my story can help people. Um, but I did have some fun. So that's why the album sounds fun. Like, mm-hmm. cause I think there's, <laughs> uh, there's a bit of that too. Like there's something about kind of being in, in school, we talk about the hero's journey and how usually it's, it's a huge hardship or something that sends the hero on his journey. And then the journey is tumultuous. It's, it's hard it's Mm -hmm. it's something that you may not feel like you'll ever come out on the other end and um that's what it felt like it felt like a long ass time and Mm -hmm. it felt like maybe i was cursed or something and um but there were good times there were bad times i've learned the most about myself in that time and uh I'm here to tell the story, so.
0: Yeah. You know, I saw this video on your social media where you're singing on the streets of downtown Anchorage. Do you do that often? Go to public areas and sing?
1: Do I? Is uh, is water wet? <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've bussed before, but not to the to the volume that I did this last year and um, I kind of chronicled it um, online and everything so it became kind of like a thing and I was out there literally every day. I was out there every day um just singing singing my my heart out yeah and for me it was like I could get paid to, to practice. But for people, it kind of was like a thing and like tourists loved it. It was just like, are you going to be out tomorrow? I want to, you know, my son's not here, but I want him to see you or uh, whatever. And um, yeah, it felt like a great way to connect with the community and help enrich the the tourist community because there is a lot of like the hot dog stands and stuff out on fourth avenue they really enjoyed having me around because people stuck around longer they might buy a second dog you know so mm-hmm. it was a very symbiotic relationship
0: i ask that because whenever i see someone doing that singing in public i think there are at least a few psychological elements to the whole thing for one what are you as the musician trying to accomplish?
1: Mm. yeah i wanted to be to me it was a chance to play and practice at the same time and by play i mean like have fun with it Mm -hmm. and so um because what i view is the, the more um formal version of what i do is when i play with my band or when i'm playing at a venue and it's, there's flyers and all this stuff. This was just like a more casual, like, I'm going to be outside and I'm going to connect with the community in a real way. Mm -hmm. Even down to the point of like, I had my sandals on, like I wanted to (laughs) touch the soil. No, truly. Cause I I felt like there's some energy in that. And so I, I was one with uh downtown Anchorage, and I built a rapport with everyone and that and that was the part that again was a, a a little part of my hero's journey because you're coming in as an outsider like some people might know me, but like i'm I'm in these people's space and to slowly over the summer win people over uh whether or not it's the businesses or the tourists or the, um, like there there's a huge houseless community out there and like
0: mm-hmm. getting to
1: know them and them showing their appreciation for what I do and thinking that like, maybe I'm making their day a little bit better. Mm-hmm. That felt so good, you know? And so, yeah, there was a lot that I worked on and part of it was just service. like. Can I just give? And essentially, that's what busking is. You're giving. You're not necessarily asking for anything. And people feel compelled to come up to you, to pay you, to um, ask if they could take a picture, or just to say, wow, keep up the good work. And that felt good. That's great.
0: When you think about your performances performing in venues or even on the streets, are you doing your songs or are you sharing stories or are you sharing a message?
1: I think it's all of it. I think uh, that's what we do as as individuals in this experience, in this life mm-hmm. on this earth is like where where the story. Um, my mom used to say, like, um, like for some people, you're the only Bible they'll ever read. And kind of what I get from that is like the best example of anything, like the best thing we can do is, or the best impression we can leave on someone is through our actions. hmm and so um in this regard like i just wanted to share the joy of music and through that i'm also sharing my story and no i wasn't singing my own songs i was singing covers i was just singing stuff that i love to to sing but Mm -hmm. every time i would perform well i have kind of a high bar for myself but like i'm i wanted to do it at the level of to the same level that I would do it on stage. Mm -hmm. So then the world became my stage and that felt great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think your performances have changed
1: over the years? Oh yeah. Um, They've changed in a lot of ways. Like I said, um, early on, I would always have to round up musician friends to, to be able to show up to the gig. Mm -hmm. Um, so someone would hit me up and be like, uh, I want you to perform at this and we need an hour and we want a full band. And so I would have to go and hire musicians. And at this point, I just wanted, I just wanted this so bad that it, it wasn't about getting paid or any of that. So like I would, whatever I would get paid from the gig. And at the time that it wasn't that much, I would give that all to the artists or or to the musicians playing with me. Mm -hmm. I would never get paid. So there's a good two, three years of me playing in Anchorage, playing festivals or whatever. And I didn't take home anything. I just got to perform my music and that was worthwhile to me, because at the time, I truly felt like I was breaking down a lot of glass ceilings and um kind of exposing Alaska to a new sound, mm. and that was the most important thing to me um now, as time has progressed and things have become more normalized and peop you know like people actually want to hear from me and i have a band um the sound has developed also i i had the the privilege to work with uh people like nick carpenter mm-hmm. um quinn Christopherson, mm-hmm. um and plenty of other amazing uh local or anchorage based talent i'm trying to change uh, people, I'm trying to change the vernacular around, uh, local music to say Anchorage based okay. rather than local. Cause I think that there's a connotation that goes with local, but yeah. So I got to work with a lot of Anchorage based. Um, what do you think that that connotation is? I think local depending, and it depends on who says it. Like, when I said it, it it just means, like, they're from here. I think some people conflate that with, like, pedestrian or, like... Oh, okay. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. I literally was busking, you know? <laughs> um, my I feel like my job is to, like, tear down a lot of those misconceptions. But, like, I do think that in the verbiage people use it... Especially since the art is infused with commerce at this level, like Mm -hmm. it means something. And so the way artists are dressed and seen in this town, I think needs to change because if, if you look at the landscape of Anchorage, there's so much like live music is a huge backbone of this thing. Whether mm-hmm. it be in tourism, whether it be in the bar scene, yeah. whether it be uh, in park events, like we're always there. We were essential workers like through through um, COVID. We were still working. Mm-hmm. People that probably you would think are more essential in musicians had their time off. Musicians were still working. We're still doing entertaining people, keeping people smiling mm-hmm. and I think that that deserves a level of uh respect. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I think something as simple as that helps. Cause then it's like, well your anchorage based but you're not just here. Like, for example, um Medium Build is constantly on tour and so they're known around the world but they're based here. And so I just, I feel like that's a proper term.
0: Yeah. I think so too, you know, like you, I don't say local with any negative connotation, but I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I've worked with, with, um, a lot of Anchorage based talent and that really helped improve i I think what we do best here is like we've got some really sick songwriters like the singer songwriter scene is very strong and it's cultivated and there's like there's like this big brother big sister program where like we all look out for each other we all care about the craft and i think that that is so powerful Mm -hmm. and that is what I was raised in. And so, yeah, the music has improved a lot. Like to answer your question, um, the music is just better now. <laughs> like okay. it's a lot has improved and and it's a full blown thing now. It's about, it's not just, hey, could you please listen to my song that I uploaded on SoundCloud mm-hmm. or whatever. It's It's like, come into this experience that I've crafted uh, for you. And it's about like, I have my partner, my fiance, Kayla. uh, She does all my art. Uh, She does all the photography. She shoots the videos. I edit the videos. It's like a truly uh, a team is, is being formed now. And so things are being done at a higher level Um, than I could ever do on my own. So yeah, a lot has changed since those beginning years.
0: And when did you start singing?
1: So singing has been the thing that has kind of been there my whole life. When I was, when I was a baby, my dad has these like old videos of me, just like, I didn't have an imaginary friend. I just would sing my, like, I would sing to myself. There's this term, like sing yourself happy. I would sing myself happy. Yeah, And, um, I'd just be playing with, um, there's this like old VHS, like home video of like me just rolling around in a diaper, like singing gibberish to myself and (laughs) I don't think it resonated with anyone else. But to me, I was like, oh shoot, that's the moment. This is the moment yeah and and that's kind of what my my art is is like a lot of the music i make is out of a cathartic place it is Mm -hmm. out of a um a true need to express and not necessarily a need to be heard (laughs) it was more so just like for me because i like I think I can understand me more than anyone. And sometimes it's, you know, for some of us it's journaling. For others it's uh it's therapy. And usually with therapy it's just like you're talking to someone, but they're letting you reveal to yourself all these truths about yourself. Yeah. And for me it's the art, for me it's the music. And so um I think about that moment. I also think about my aunt, Regina, who was like kind of like a a matriarch in East Anchorage. She um. she worked at the Mountain View Boys and Girls Club and had this music program where she would teach them how to sing and teach them these arrangements of like. Like they would go out Christmas caroling and it got so big that they would do like corporate events and all these things. And then eventually that became like a family tradition and we would go around the hospitals and just like truly just sharing the joy of music Mm -hmm. because we knew that like life wasn't roses, but this thing, this thing that unified us could also unify other people. And so... Yeah, it's always been kind of a part of me was this thing. Like, I've always done it. Um, I didn't do it in a way like where I thought I was going to be an artist. It was truly just to encourage myself. And then it was to encourage others and sing with my family. Mm -hmm. And that slowly became, you know, that slowly evolved into me doing it for my own artistry.
0: Do you remember the first song you ever recorded?
1: <sighs> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so all this stuff still exists on SoundCloud. So if anyone wants to check it out, uh, they can. But uh, I, my first song, of course, was a heartbreak song. It was called, like, uh, Broken Hearts and Darts or something. And... I don't even know if the lyrics were cohesive, but it like the feeling was there. Like, oh man, this guy's sad, and mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't even the real. That wasn't even about the like bigger heartbreak in my life. It was about like a uh, high school fling that I had. But um, yeah, that was my first song, and I recorded it myself, and it was on GarageBand, and I produced it and everything. And that kind of set me on my way. Like, that is my business model. Like, uh, to keep, as most people know, to make music is, is a very expensive uh, craft to be in. It's a very expensive hobby to have. And so, to keep cost down, I just started doing it myself. I also had a huge fascina- fascination with um, audio engineering and production. Um but now i realize it's one of my biggest assets in as a business person <laughs> like mm-hmm. i can produce this thing at a very low cost the cost is my time um but yeah so i did that song then i started making a ton of covers cuz those were like my formative years so i i covered everything from like snow patrol to billy joel mm, to okay. uh rihanna i was doing covers i was doing mashups i grew up in that like glee era so like there is like acapella stuff going on um yeah and like i said all that stuff's still on soundcloud but um those are like my first recordings i was i was just trying to impress people i was trying to get people to listen to me and actually want to listen to me and as a result i ended up recording like 40 or 50 tracks of like covers and originals that probably won't ever see the light of day for like streaming, but it's like the underside of my iceberg musically. It also
0: sounded like you were experimenting, you know, trying to find your lane.
1: 100%. I was learning how to like i was simultaneously learning how to sing live and then getting my chops in the studio because that was a different thing yeah and um we didn't talk about this but um one year of my college my first year my freshman year i went out of state for school and that's when i met a ton of just really amazing artists um i went to a school called old dominion university And at this school, there were kids that were like interning for Timbaland and Mm. stuff. So the quality and level of their stuff was just mind blowing. And I think there's something that clicks in in our heads as human beings, when we see that someone... It's like when the first person lit fire, I'm sure everyone else Mm -hmm. was like, oh shoot, we could do that? Like what? (laughs) And so like, it was like I was experiencing fire like figuratively what they were playing was just fire and i was like oh my gosh wait like you're the same age as me and you just made this on your laptop and that that really just blew the top off yeah and then i got on this journey to just like sonically how far can i take it what can i do um i always do this but i met like masego there if you're familiar with his music and he's huge now back in the day he was just carrying his laptop around and he had ableton and he had a mic and he had a keyboard Mm -hmm. and he had his um his saxophone and he would just do live shows like that and he'd go around on a longboard and all of those things just really inspired me it was like no, you could do this even if you don't have you know as much support. I think Anchorage there there's a lot of uh rich artists here. <laughs> there's a lot of people that have uh they went to Sitka Fine Arts Camp and okay. All like they got to do all the fun things and so to be able to go to a place where like kids were literally coming from nothing and then making shit that was like clearly nationally like recognized or recognized by one of my idols like Timbaland it was like whoa okay I can do this too
0: yeah that's inspiring
1: yeah very inspiring
0: nowadays when you work on a song how do you know when that song is done
1: it's a feeling it's it's more of a feeling than a than a question um there's something that happens in my like with my ears like mm-hmm. i i can tell if something's missing something whether it be like some depth sonically or some uh like instrumentation or whatever i think just from putting up so many reps of working on songs completing songs it became a feeling what Mm -hmm. used to be a question is now a feeling and um yeah it's just it's done when it feels like it's done (laughs) i don't know if that answers your question but
0: no it totally answers my question i (laughs) i feel like that feeling is the culmination of all of your past experiences with music, your understanding of timing within music, your understanding of where pieces belong in a song, Mm -hmm. you know, your understanding of how other people, uh, you know, interact with that music. And, And that's just a few off the top of my head, but I think it's, it's all those things plus so many more that I probably can't think of at this point, but you have to, you know, apply your intuition, you know, your, your cumulative intuition to this sound, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think it's like this endless thing, like, and that's the part that like is simul, like, it's very exciting, but it could also like eat you alive. It could be like discouraging because it's like, while I feel like there's a feeling right and it feels Mm -hmm. like the songs are done as my skill set grows as my ears become more refined as my as my taste becomes more refined then there's more work to be done Mm -hmm. and so then you have to look at past works for like okay that is what it was and like still be proud of those but like on newer stuff uh there may be more harmonies, there may be more layers, more subtleties that get infused in the work. And I don't know. Like I am constantly just making it harder for for myself (laughs) in those ways.
0: I think that that probably just means you're getting better. You're being more critical of your stuff.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's a more of a personal thing. I don't necessarily feel external pressure, but I do feel it for myself. I I think that there's something that's been put on my heart to just really take take this music thing as far as I can, and and that has nothing to do with a, a career trajectory and more so just like i want to make the best art that i possibly can and i know that i haven't completely tapped into all of my potential do you feel like you're getting close no i don't want to i don't want to ever feel that way to be honest i think i want to kind of continue to feel i want to make i want to make stuff that moves me Mm -hmm. and there's there's things that are that feel good. There's things that um I feel like I like was able to express the emotion or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like there's I can count on my hand the ones that are like truly just like moving or like where I like cried at the end of the session or things like that. And I don't know. I think that there's just we all like. I think every person on this earth is a universe of themselves, you know. And mm. universes just kind of continue on, and they are constantly expanding. And that's that's how I feel like it. The the art is like I want to put the carrot in front of myself of like oh, I want to make something really great. But I don't. I don't ever want to believe my own sauce in that way. Like I don't want to get to a point where I'm done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because then what? What else would I have to do? Yeah. You know, like I want to constantly be on that journey. And honestly, I feel like there's just so much. Like I'm learning guitar right now, and I'm learning to get better at piano and those two things are two very they're like micro skill sets in the grand scheme of making a song Mm -hmm. and but they're so foundational like so it's it's one of those things where like i could go down the rabbit hole of just lyrics writing a good libretto and like okay so now i'm reading more now i'm like you know uh dissecting Uh, literary devices and getting deeper into that so my art becomes more enriched and Mm -hmm. I truly think it's endless like if you're thirsty uh, to learn it's gonna be endless that's why someone like Kendrick Lamar can get better every album Mm -hmm. you would think that he'd be done after you know any of those albums like oh man what, what would he do next after that
0: I think with an artist like that, you know, somebody who continuously gets better, they must have a routine, something that they, they do on a daily basis that helps expand their mind. So for example, you know, reading books, listening to new podcasts, um, having conversations with, with, uh, people new and old, you know, like having that routine that, helps you continue to expand your mind.
1: Yeah. And then like, also there's a, I feel like there's like a revision of your routine. Like they may have established a pro a process, but then it's like, part of the process is attempting to perfect your process. Mm -hmm. Like, and so through that, like things become more efficient or you like pivot or you start to try new things or you, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I've, I've watched a couple of interviews and like, it seems like Kendrick really is like someone that likes to have conversations and, um, he's not just writing for himself. He's writing for people, you Mm -hmm. know, like people that don't have this platform. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I think we all get to, we all end up getting to it in different ways, but it is nice to be exposed to, you know, that that's why collaboration is so amazing. Cause you get to watch someone else uh, and, and see how the cogs turn in their brain. And, and some of that brushes off on you. Mm-hmm. I always say like artists are like little worker bees and, and we're like getting pollen. And when we go into someone else's studio or their space, we're like rubbing off pollen onto them. And yeah.
0: Yeah, transferring information or at least sharing knowledge.
1: Oh, 100%, yeah. I think it's hard not to rub off on each other in some ways. And I think in a certain sense, like artists are very at least the ones i've been exposed to were very pr- protective of our space and our hearts and our like this this is sacred what we do and so if we're letting someone into that space it's usually someone that we want there mm-hmm. and and that energy is is an energy that we want there and yeah i i would attribute a lot of my growth to not only my own like personal drive, but also to my environment and to the people that I've came up around. Mm -hmm.
0: So I was talking to our mutual friend, Mike Dempsey the other day, who's also an Anchorage based musician. And he was telling me about how you two have had some pretty deep conversations and Mike is a deep thinker and I always find myself when I talk to him, you know, those conversations have a tendency to also get deep. So I I uh I understand like you know, those situations, but he gave me a few questions to ask you. One of which is Oh, he wh- set
1: me up. Uh-oh. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He says, um, or he asks,
1: what does the word practice mean to you? Oh, dang, that's a good question. (laughs) So I am working to dismantle the the, um, belief that practice makes perfect. I think it's something, I think it's admirable to strive for it. And I think that there are there are humans that exemplify it. They're so good; it's almost like they're a robot. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like constantly dividing something. Like you can divide something till infinity, and you can get pretty darn close to zero, but you're never gonna hit zero. You know, and mm-hmm. and that's how I feel perfection is. So I think that practice. Um, I use the analogy of like yoga, for example. Um, I just love yoga, and I go, and I feel like I get a lot of gems about life. But they talk about the yoga practice and how it's not like it's not perfect. It's it's giving your best in that day. Yeah, and it's a process, and it's constant. It's never ending. So as soon as you get it out of your head, that like. I'm gonna practice until I'm great and the and you realize that the greatness is the fact that you it's in the showing up. It's in the it's in the practice. Mm-hmm. Um like that's what it is for me. Practice is is like a it's a way of life. It's a um it's a method in which I in which I train um but it's also it's an it's an intimate thing it's a personal thing Mm -hmm. it's it's me getting in tune with myself so yeah i don't i don't know how to describe it like literally but figuratively like those are those are the things that's the way i approach practice it's – it's um I seek more to perfect the process than actually perfecting myself, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's a lot like that routine we were just talking about with artists like Kendrick Lamar who continuously get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I brought up the routine and you kind of amended that idea and said that it also – depends on, or what's also important about that process is, uh, adding new things to that routine or perfecting that routine.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And that's like, so I learned how to, you know, practice through school and stuff. So like, if you're working with, a, a voice teacher, for example, they're like essentially like an extra pair of ears and eyes to see like what's happening in your body to hear, you know, how you're producing a sound and then they help you refine it. But they're not necessarily making you strive for perfection. They're showing you how to set up the thing. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of uh, vocal coaching is about like creating the proper shapes and the proper mechanism to produce the best sound, but it isn't teaching you how to produce the, the best sound. As, as And I know that that seems like, like that's the goal of like vocal coaching, but it it's more about like perfecting your process. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that the, most important thing that I learned in college was not necessarily the things that I, I learned in classes, but it was uh, the pursuit of knowledge, you know, and how you continue to do that in your in your life. And so um, maybe that's when I started creating this routine for myself, you know, reading as much as I do. And when I might be tired of reading, then... I listen to a book or I watch a documentary or in times where I need a break, you know, I'll watch a horror movie. I'm really into horror movies. So, you know, I kind of give myself that reprieve.
1: What's your favorite
0: horror movie? My favorite horror movie? The horror movie that I suggest always to people who, you know, maybe are not into horror movies or maybe they want to get into horror movies is A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, Wes Craven, that movie just holds up class still to this day. You know, it is um, the the sequels to A Nightmare on Elm Street got a little goofy, got a little hokey. I still love them. <laughs> but the first one is just straight terrifying horror. And it it's still
1: scary to this day. Dude, I don't know if I could do it. I just think <laughs> the concept of like uh, this guy could get you in your dreams, and I'm like, uh, no, like we have to sleep. Yeah, uh, like that—that that is my qualm with uh, the horror music industries or the horror, uh, <laughs> the horror film industry is like, ah, oh, y'all attack everything, yeah. Christmas, sleeping, cell phones. <laughs> it, it's like nothing is off-topic. We can make it all scary. Yeah. Um but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, and um I'm glad you m- mentioned rest because like like I said in in my perfecting of my process, um I learned that I had to take more time to to relax and to not always be trying to get input always, you know. Um mm-hmm. I in this world we live in, I feel like it is a rat race to like learn as much as you can and go and never miss the gym and yeah uh, and make sure you always respond to every text you get and it it can be a lot and I don't mm-hmm. think we're meant to live that way so there yeah I think it's necessary um, I was gonna bring in. Like an example of like, I used to lift a lot, and a lot about lifting was more less about the actual lift, and more so about perfecting the way that I approached it. So, you know, lifters always talk about form. They talk about how um, you need to contract certain muscles, like the the muscle groups that you're working on, how. It, like the best way to grow your muscles might be to split up days. And so you do legs this day and you might do chest and back the next day and, and what muscle groups work together. All of this is a perfection of the process and not necessarily a perfection of you. That is just a byproduct of perfecting your process. Yeah. You know, it's all these external things, your diet. Um, taking a rest day like you know that's another example of where rest is positive like you need time for all those muscles that you've torn to to heal and heal back stronger Mm -hmm. so I think practice to me is is that more holistic view and knowing that I can perfect the process and in that process of perfecting the process I might become closer to perfect, but I'll never, I don't think I'll ever be perfect. I don't think that's something to strive for.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a moving target. You know, once you get to a point where maybe today, if you were to look in the future, you're like, oh, that's perfection. But, you know, Ed in the future may not feel that that's the perfection that you're striving for now.
1: Yeah. The goalposts will move.
0: Do you feel like you're hard on yourself or do you give yourself some latitude?
1: Uh, (laughs) yes, I I think I'm hard on myself, but it's something that now I'm consciously aware of and I'm, I'm working on, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot to, there's a lot in society that reinforces that like social media, um, I don't think that we were meant as people to just be aware of everything and everything great and horrible all at the same time Mm -hmm. and that's like the internet it's like we know like i just saw this video of beyonce performing in dubai and it was like wow this person has to be like an angel or something like how the heck can she do that? And she was like singing this melisma as she was like ascending into the air and there were fireworks just shooting all behind her and everything. <laughs> and like <laughs> um, kind of hard not to be, you know, hard on yourself when you're aware like that motherfuckers are levitating and singing at the same time. But like... <laughs>
0: But she has a team, you know? We were talking about collaboration earlier.
1: Yeah, she has a team. She has a team. She's had she's had years of... Like, yes, there are professionals that do things at a professional level. But mm-hmm. there's also something to be said about them being given space to fully expand into whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love artists like... Uh, Kendrick, Beyonce, a lot of these artists that have longer careers where you can see like, no, they're growing and changing and learning too as they go. And like, um, it's it's so inspiring to see like, wow, she's in rare form right now. Mm-hmm. And like, isn't that such a flex to say as someone that's already put like 20 plus years in the game and she's still like learning. yeah, And that's what inspires me. And that's like, I'm learning to give myself grace because I'm learning that a lot of the people that we tend to put on pedestals here in society are truly just like, they're learning like the rest of us. They gave themselves the grace not to be perfect. If you you listen to anybody's first project or their first appearance on something, it was not as good as what we know them to be now. Mm -hmm. It never is. So, yeah, I'm learning to give myself grace. Shout out to my fiance. She really is like, she taught me a lot about that. Um, last year, um, well, actually two years ago, 2021 in December though. So like coming into 2022, mm-hmm. I broke my ankle. Oh. And that was really a hard pill to swallow for me. Because I'd never dealt with a, a you know, a big, uh, a an injury this severe Mm -hmm. and I ended up having to have surgery and I was a bit hard on myself like that's when I wrote my last album because I had all this extra time but I like because I'm such a a busy bee workhorse type of person Mm -hmm. I created new things for myself to do so then I I was an avid reader during that period of time cuz I couldn't leave the house and I like I would watch films but they only had they could only be the like critically acclaimed best films of all time that I never got <laughs> to watch or you know like yeah. all this stuff that's just like come on guy like and so I'm just challenging myself now to like can you have fun? Like can can mm-hmm. we have fun? Because I think a lot of the best art and a lot of the stuff that speaks to people comes from that place. Like, you know, like it's not from this pretentious I need to know everything, I need to learn everything place. Like that stuff helps. That builds builds up your skill set so you can execute. But that's not that's not where the sauce is. The sauce is in in the joy.
0: I agree with that to a certain extent because I think that if you were to go back and, you know, tell yourself that, hey, just have fun and, you know, past you actually took that advice and you did just have fun, I think that your music would sound a lot different. And (laughs) I think that possibly it would be less contemplative, but I, I really have learned to kind of give myself grace in my younger years, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was younger and appreciate what I was doing and what I was trying to do because now I'm the culmination of all of that, you know, and I wouldn't be exactly who I am right now in this moment without, you know, almost being militant. Like you were talking about, like I have to watch these movies. I have to catch up and, Uh, or I guess I have to catch up in this conversation, you know, I have to have this Academy award movie from
1: 1943 under my belt or, you know,
0: whatever, (laughs) because in that moment I thought that I needed it.
1: Yeah. And that's a good, that's a good point. And yeah, I guess I'm trying to find a balance of like giving my body a rest before my body tells me to sit down you know and i think Mm -hmm. in the past i i would go so hard that it would only be when i'm sick it would only be when i injured myself that i would take a second to like reflect and um yeah i don't think i'll ever stop uh, working my ass off. I, I think I like that part about myself. I think mm-hmm. from a very young age, I knew that I wasn't, that it wasn't going to be my talent that got me through the door. It was going to be my hard work. And, and that's something that I appreciate my dad for instilling in me, that like, you're going to have to work. You're, like, you're just going to have to work. And... Mm-hmm. um I appreciate that because it makes me more excited to do that because I feel like that's where, I feel like that is one of my gifts is to, to work hard at something, especially things that I care about. And so, yeah, you're right. All of those things add up to, you know, where I'm at today. And they're going to continue to, to push me forward because it's fun. Like I, at the end of the day, I just like it. I enjoyed that moment. Like I didn't enjoy having a broken ankle, but I really enjoyed being able to learn. And I was one of the kids like in college, if, if I could have just stayed there, if it wasn't going to add soul crushing debt into my life, like (laughs) I would just be a professional student forever.
0: I think I actually might have been the same way And I think that it was probably good That I wasn't able to Because (laughs) I really enjoyed college You know, I loved uh, Going to classes Learning, you know, at the beginning of the year Picking up the syllabus And going and buying all your brand new books And then like Splaying them out in front of you When you got back to your apartment And just being excited You know, about how in-depth you're going to go In all of them
1: Yes, especially once you got past, like, the GREs, like, the general yeah. requirements, and you got into, like, you started to specialize more, you got got to do things that were elective, but they were, you know, they were right up your alley. Those things really just, like, they felt good, and... We almost had, like, I wasn't in a conservatory, but because my program was so small, it it had that vibe. So it Mm -hmm. felt like it felt more closely to what I'm doing now professionally. Like it was on me to get the work done, but there was a tight knit community. And yeah, it, I think that even though we are in college, we clearly have kept that like thirst for knowledge yeah and, um, I think that's a very human trait, like where we're here kinda to just learn, I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is all a lesson,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially if we go through life believing that, you know
1: yeah that's true <laughs> i think for a long time i was resistant i was a little bitter like uh like why would someone create this experience that we're having like why do this
0: mm-hmm.
1: and why do it where the, like why create it to where there's pain and like uh sorrow and all these things um but I find that I love life a lot more when I'm in a position to learn Mm -hmm. and when I'm trying to just like, I don't know, receive whatever lessons I'm supposed to receive.
0: That's great. Well, Ed, that does it for my questions. I want to thank you for talking with me today and being so open about your journey through life your understanding of your hardships and
1: your artistic process thank you thanks for having me this has been great
0: is there anything else you'd like to add
1: just like i hope people listening that they can take something away from it and maybe it helps them heal and move forward because that kind of seems like the theme of of our conversation. So yeah.
0: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alkota Beats.